You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. All right, Mark, the sixth chapter. Put your finger on verse 35. We talked on this subject uh, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and man, revelation broke out in the house. And uh, since then, I went and asked the Lord to reveal uh, the rest of the story to me, and I think I have a little more revelation to share. And we've got about 25 minutes until noon, which means we'll be out in an hour and a half. Awesome. See, some of you laughed. The rest of you got panicked. Stop it. We're just going to let God be God, all right? Verse 35, Mark, the sixth chapter, verse 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place. Now, a lot of us read that as desert place. It's desert place. And now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country roundabout and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Mm. Nothing nothing will heighten your senses like need. Who can say amen to that? Mm. Verse 37. And when he answered and said unto them, give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He said unto them, How many loaves have you? And and go and see. And when they knew, they say five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. Now one thing that's left out of this particular version of the story is that they got the five loaves and the two fish from a little boy's lunch sack. And some scholars say that the five loaves and fish, there are some who, who, who have little faith, O ye of little faith. Those are the, the scholars who teach that, well, you have to understand that these were large ocean fish. But if... Please explain to me the miracle of how the little boy was carrying it around in a lunch bag. Other scholars say this may have been more like sardines and crackers. I don't know. I'm not here to say. All I know is this was very small provision for the amount of people that were there. In fact, the word says it was 5,000 people, not counting women and children. So you can imagine some scholars put that estimate up to to 20,000 or so. Verse 38, he said, see how many loaves uh, you have ye, and go and see. And when they knew, they say five and two fishes. And he commanded them to, to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did some eat. And what? And they did all. We got one that's listening. And they did all eat and were filled. They didn't just eat. They, they were plump when they were done. 
Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to be plump in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. I just, I just relieved stress all across the house. I felt it. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fishes. Come on, there you go. And boy, we got scholars up in the house. Train up children in the way they should go. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. There's another miracle that follows this. We'll get into that some other time. But I want you to see something here. Because of the uniqueness of Jesus' ministry, and he came in a time of spiritual fast, after 400 years of prophetic silence, the church had fallen into the place where now they were under uh, Roman rule, and of course, you know, they were fighting to hold on to what freedoms they had underneath Rome to still be able to worship uh, in the synagogues. And so uh, when Jesus arrives on the scene their Messiah is standing before them, but because of their fear of the Roman tyranny, uh, they didn't recognize him, didn't, didn't want anyone to stir up trouble, cause a problem. And so when Jesus showed up on the scene here, the people are so starved for spiritual truth that they're following him. And they follow him from place to place. He, when he, he tries to steal away to pray, he finds out that the crowd shows up. And that's the circumstance that's happening here. He's been teaching because the crowd showed up. They heard the noise. It was noised abroad that he was coming. They showed up and they followed him from his place of prayer out here into the wilderness. And he's been teaching and ministering all day long. For who else during that time could cast out demons? Who else during that time could lay hands on the sick and they would recover? Blind eyes were being opened. Deaf ears were being unstopped. People who were lame were now walking and leaping and, and moving about and praising God. And people who were in need were hearing things. And then when Jesus taught, he wasn't like the other teachers, even though uh, his style of teaching was popular in the day. But Jesus taught in parables. But when he taught in parables, he taught them in such an intriguing way that it made you lean in. And if you notice, he used an awful lot in his teaching. He used an awful lot of the time. He used a, uh, what do I want to say, um, agricultural uh, uh, analogies. And the reason uh, a lot of scholars now believe that Jesus did so many agricultural uh, analogies was because he was a carpenter. He did, he, did, he did one or two on building things, but mostly it was agricultural. Why? Because the type of carpentry that they now believe that Jesus did was he made farm implements. He made plows and oxen yokes and things that would, would help the farmer. So he was, he was intri, uh, how do I want to say, intricately uh, involved in the farming process, so he understood that analogy better than any other and was able to draw so many conclusions from farm analogies. So now he's here. The crowd has followed him. They're excited, but the day is getting far spent. And the disciples, how many's ever, has anyone here ever got tired of doing good stuff? We got one honest person in this, two, three, four, I'm waiting to see if anyone else gets honest real quick. Okay, we got some in the back. So, we got people coming out of the hallway going, 
that's me. <laughs> Sometimes you can, you can be working for God and, and giving your best and giving your all and loving God with everything you've got and still get tired, get weary in well-doing. That's why the Word tells us to be careful not to get weary in well-doing. Well, the disciples were having one of those moments. They looked up at the crowd and they said, you know what, Jesus, it's getting late. Come on, I see this in church all the time. <laughs> Sometimes we get weary in well-doing, and the disciples were weary. And they looked at the crowd, and they said, Jesus, send them away. They need to leave now, Jesus, because the time's getting away. You better send them out. You better, you better move them on, because they're going to get stuck out here in the desert. And you know it gets cold in the desert, and it's not good at night, and, and there's nothing to eat. You need to send them on. And I love Jesus' response. Because Jesus always used ministry opportunities to teach. Are you listening, lit students? Jesus always used ministry opportunities to teach something. And so he looked at them and he says, you know what? You feed them. You feed them. Now, suddenly, their diversion from the people has become their responsibility. No, no. We're not going to send them away. You feed them. And now can you imagine what the disciples are thinking at this moment? They're looking out across the countryside. They're seeing a lot of people. A lot, a lot of people. And so they're looking at the crowd, and it looks insurmountable. And Jesus just gave them the command, hey, I want you to take care of them. Just, just take care of them. They're our guests. So they throw up the argument. So what you're saying, Jesus, is you want us to go to town and take the ministry coffers of $40. That's what they had in today's money. $40 and buy up enough bread to feed. What do they mean by examining? Five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand, ten thousand. Come on. Can you imagine how overwhelming that demand must have felt? But have you ever had the Lord call you to anything that it didn't seem overwhelming? When the Lord told me about revival, it seemed overwhelming. When the Lord told me to buy that building, it seemed overwhelming. Yet, he didn't ask my opinion. He just told me. And so he told them, I want you to go. And so they, they, they throw up the, the puny argument. Well, we've only got $40. Come on. How many of us have had that argument with God? Look, Lord, all I have is receipts. Come on. And if I swipe this, they'll take it. I promise you they'll take that. We've all, we've all had that argument, right? And so they said, well, $40? Really? $40? To buy this much bread? And so the Lord says, you know what? I'll make it easy for you, boys. What can you rustle up around here to eat? Since there's not time for you to go to town, which was their argument, and buy enough bread, why don't we just figure out what we got here and make something out of it? And so he sends them out, and they find a boy who has a lunch. 
Now, I, can you imagine out of 20,000 people, only one boy had sense enough to bring a lunch bag? Where were the mothers? I mean, the boy was smarter than the adults. You better believe it. I, just, I can't imagine. Where's one good mother out of that crowd packed a lunch? <laughs> but I wasn't in their circumstances. I don't know. So I'm not here to, to throw stones. Uh, I'd have figured out how to bring some potted meat, something. I don't know. I'd have done something. I'd have cheese and crackers. Mmm. little peanut butter. I'll eat it right out of the jar if I got to. So anyway, they, they threw up the argument about the $40. So Jesus said, check your provision. What can you offer up for a miracle? So they came back. They said, look, there's, there's five loaves and two fish. Now, we don't know the size of that, but I promise you they weren't ocean fish. They weren't something large for that boy to carry in at lunch. And so they're saying, this little tiny thing is all we have, Lord. That's it. And did you notice Jesus went, oh, my goodness. I, just, I know I'm being silly today. Just hang with me. I don't know. I, I ate Wheaties or something. I don't know what the deal is. But listen. We, we often show the Lord our little. And we're, we're embarrassed and we're, we're afraid to say, Lord, this is all I have. And often we offer it as an excuse. Well, we can do that. And then if I'm going to take this, here, I'm just going in another direction. So we're going to let God be God. And if I take that, if I give you that, Lord, then I have nothing. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll bring it to the Lord. Here's what I want you to understand. Sometimes, if this is all you have, that's all he's asking for. Oh, my goodness, that's hard to hear. If this is all I have, that's all he's asking for. And then you know what he has the audacity to do? He'll take it and break it. He'll take my little and he'll break it. He blesses it. There's the key. He blesses it, and then he breaks it. You may think you have nothing to offer, but I said, have you let the Lord break you yet? You may think what you have is so little to offer into the kingdom that what good could this be in the kingdom? You may think so little of yourself that you don't think you have anything to offer, and how could God use you in a big way? Well, have you let him break you yet? Because... When the Lord breaks, he multiplies. When the Lord breaks, he multiplies. Who could say yes to that? How many have ever had God multiply something in your life that would seem like it was way too little? So here, here's the, here, I've got to fly. I'm way behind. The Lord tells them, show me what you got. They offer him the provision. He blesses it and he breaks it. And then he tells them, get prepared for your miracle. Get prepared for your miracle. You say, I don't read that in the canon. Yes, you did. He just didn't say it in those words. What he said was to the disciples. He's teaching the disciples, not the crowd. He's teaching those who he's going to entrust 
into their care these people that they're tired and weary of, that one day you will be in my place carrying out my mission on the earth and you can't get weary with people because there's a demand. You've got to know where you can go to get the provision you need when the demand is put upon you. And so he's teaching them an object lesson. What do you have? Find it. If you don't have enough money or time to get to town, what do you got that God can work a miracle with? And so the miracle is about to begin, but he will not start the miracle until he instructs them to get the church, the people, those you're ministering to, into some semblance of order. Now, how many understand for the last few weeks we've been talking about God restoring order into the house of faith? Look what he says. Have them sit down in companies of 50s and 100. And he just, and, and so they're breaking everybody up all over the land, landscape in small groups. Now watch this. Then Jesus breaks the bread, breaks the fish, and hands each disciple fish and bread. He didn't break it for 5,000 people. He broke it for 12. (laughs) And he sent each one of them out, and each one of them was assigned certain companies of people to make sure the people would be fed. And they were only responsible for the people that were sitting in their companies they were assigned. And he sent them out, each one, and they kept breaking and breaking and breaking. Fifty people fed, breaking and breaking and breaking. A hundred people fed, breaking and breaking and breaking until suddenly a thousand were fed, two thousand were fed, three thousand were fed, all from one little boy who came prepared. There's something about being prepared in the presence of the Lord. And they kept breaking and breaking and breaking. I don't know the number. We know for sure 5,000 men. How many women and children we do not know. But it could be upwards of 20,000 people were fed by 12 disciples breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking. All they were doing was mimicking what they saw the master do and they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it until they came back, each one, and set before Jesus a basket filled with fragments. Twelve baskets. They broke so much they could have fed more people. Had there been a larger demand, they could have kept feeding people. Little is much in the hands of an awesome, almighty God who could say amen to that. But here's what I want you to understand. Order dispels chaos. Because if... If they had not organized this situation and they just took and broke the the fish and the loaves. If the people had been turned loose in a chaotic order, you know how mobs are and crowds are. Everybody, how many has ever been out on Black Friday? 
Come on, you know how it is. They'll run roughshod right over the top of you. They'll punch you. They'll steal stuff out of your basket. And hungry people are a whole lot worse than Christmas crazed people. And if there hadn't been order and structure and they were instructed to sit down in 50s and 100s across the hillside, there would have been such chaos and disorder that there would have been those who walked away hoarding what they could get their hands on and taking everything they could possibly get and others would have been left out of the miracle and would not have probably gotten to eat because of the chaos and the disorder and the disruption of the situation but when God puts his order and structure to it everyone's fed everyone's blessed everyone it said they were filled just about like my i finally got back into this thing those buttons are straining don't you don't you worry about that if one of them pops off you better hit the deck i don't want you to have a permanent button mark in the middle of your forehead but i want you to understand that order dispels chaos What's happened in the past in the church is we get a move of God and we allow it to run roughshod through the house. And I love wildfire. I'd much rather have wildfire than no fire. But there needs to be order and structure in the house. You see, a fire let loose can burn things down and cause destruction. But a fire in a fireplace can warm up the house. And God wants there to be structure and order in the miraculous. He wants us to not just turn people loose to just do whatever willy-nilly thing they want to do, but to, but to put order and structure to the move of God. Look at this. People often don't understand, you know, that would have turned into a feeding frenzy, and there would have been all kinds of problems, but there was a feeding frenzy avoided because uh, God caused the disciples who were serving to be actively engaged in the miracle and to measure out to each man what it was they needed. Now look at this. People never know if they had enough, so they would have just kept pushing for their own way. And only the disciples in this setting were aware that there was a shortage of provision. The people, when they set them down in companies of 50s and hundreds, they were not aware there was a shortage. They were just out to hear Jesus. They hadn't given any thought past the moment of what they would do to eat, even though many of them were getting hungry, and to send them into town would have made them weary. They didn't know that the disciples didn't have enough. They didn't know that they only had $40. They didn't know. And this miracle caused the throngs to follow Jesus for the remainder of his ministry. And he didn't dispel this crowd until he exposed some of them for their heart that it was just in the greed of having their needs taken care of that they were following him. They weren't following him anymore out of a pure heart to hear the word. They were just following him to get fed. The disciples were the only ones aware of that. This, this lesson was for who? It was for the disciples. And all were fed and greed was avoided and the leftovers were given back to the Lord. 
How many baskets were there? Twelve. One for every disciple. How many disciples participated? Twelve. So now I've got 14 pages more. Are you ready? So I want to show you something because that's where we left off on that Wednesday night, how the Lord showed us all of those great things. But I want to show you, I went back and asked the Lord. I said, Lord, there's got to be more to this than just what you've given me. Are you ready? Slap your neighbor a high five. Say, we're getting ready for the seventh inning stretch. Here we go. Look at this. So let's take a look at the number of loaves. There were how many loaves? Five. And God is a God of order, right? So I have a question for you. In the Bible, there's a numerology. Every number assigned in the Bible has a meaning. Did you know that? God doesn't do anything that's not orderly. When he set the heavens in motion in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he took something out of chaos and turned it into something orderly. In fact, there are sci the scientists that invented string theory has now said there has to be a God. Didn't take me that long. I didn't have to get all scientific to figure it out. I read the Bible. I harnessed the power of the sun. S-O-N. Look at this. Five has a meaning. Does anybody know what the meaning is? Five. Say it. Grace. Five means grace. Oh, come on now. Don't you need God to move into your situation when you're in need to move in with grace? Mm -hmm. This miracle is a product of God's grace. When you're not enough becomes more than enough, you better understand it was God's grace. I'm going to say that again because I like it. I just need to hear that again. Look at this. This miracle is a product of God's grace. When you're not enough becomes more than enough. You better understand that God is in the middle of your miracle by grace. Bread is symbolic of the master of grace. That's a drop the mic moment, right? I just almost did it. I could feel it. it was, I was about to drop it right there. Oh, goodness. According to John, the 6th chapter, the 25th through the 59th verse, Jesus is the bread of heaven. He is the manna come down from God. How many remember the miracle of the manna that kept the children of Israel wandering around in the desert for 40 years, but they never went hungry. There was always bread raining out of heaven. And we have the bread that rained out of heaven and put on the, the garment of a man and walked around the earth with us. Heaven's bread came to earth and heaven's bread was in the middle of their miracle. This same heaven's bread would, would soon in a few days from this miracle be sitting down with the disciples letting them know that this bread that we're going to partake in this meal is symbolic of this bread that's about to be broken for all of mankind. This bread is about to be broken to feed the hungry multitudes of the world. You think 20,000 something, wait until this bread is broken and the world can feed forevermore upon the bread from heaven. And that bread came to us through grace. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the 9th verse, Jesus told Paul, my grace 
is what? Sufficient. Sufficient. My grace is all you need. I'm having fun. Am I sitting on the stool teaching? My grace, my grace is sufficient. Oh, come on, church. We need to get that. The grace of God is sufficient. It looks hopeless. When Paul was hanging in a prison with Silas, it had to look hopeless. They'd already been beaten. Now they were in a, and you don't understand those old jail cells. They were pits in the ground with raw sewage. It was nasty. But hanging in uh, uh, shackled to the walls in the middle of the night, they lifted up a song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because they'd already partaken from the bread of heaven. They were already understanding that his grace is enough. No matter how I find myself beaten, scourged, and misunderstood, and taken advantage of, it's okay. His grace is enough. It will get me through this hour. And at midnight, you know what happened? The jail cell swung open. Why? Because God's grace was enough, and their praise shook the prison bars open that's not in my message somebody write that in please Jesus told Paul my grace is sufficient and the word says that we are saved by through all I have to do is have faith in the fact that he has extended his grace to me if I can partake of that If I can eat of heaven's bread at the moment of salvation and not get tripped up on how things aren't going so perfectly in my life and not get distracted by this and that little distraction, but keep my eyes laser focused on the fact that I am a child of grace. I've been saved by grace. And as long as I keep my belief in his grace, nothing can pluck me from the master's hand. Nothing can take me out of the game. I've been sealed until the day of redemption because I broke the bread of heaven I've partaken of the last supper the last supper my soul ever needed was the first thing that brought me life and I've been living that life ever since we're saved by grace through faith we all have the all-sufficient grace of God for salvation it's been given to those with too little to offer this is what's being taught to the disciples Give me too little and I'll give you more than enough. Give me too little and I'll show you that grace is completely sufficient to more than meet the need. Mm. We all have this sufficient grace of God. But look at this. Now overflowing in abundance by the work of faith in heaven's bread. They're standing there. The disciples are seeing there's something different. We've never experienced a miracle like this. We've never seen provision like this. And they're coming back, toting back baskets of leftovers from what they have participated in. Understanding that when the bread of heaven is broken, the grace of God is sufficient. The grace of God is more than enough. The grace of God. 
God will see me to the end. The grace of God will deliver me in the time when I need deliverance the most. The grace of God, the bread of heaven, he is more than enough. Praise his name. If you're live streaming today, please come visit us. We need to see you next week. We got some great stuff happening in the house. So now I got to finish. Five loaves. How many fish? Two. 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 I just like doing that. Well, the number two also has a meaning assigned to it. The number two means when divisions unite. The number two means when division unites. When two things become one. Our first introduction to that is in Genesis. (laughs) The second chapter when it says one man was united to one woman. And the two became one. Jesus has something to teach the disciples. Here in this miracle, the covenant of the Old Testament and the covenant of the New Testament have come together according to Ephesians, the second chapter, the 14th through the 16th verse, to become the fulfillment of one man. The mystery of the gospel is the Jew and the Gentile becoming one. And Jesus is right now only dealing with the Old Testament people, but they're about to step into a New Testament that the bread of heaven alone can write. And he's giving the disciples this picture. The mystery of the word, the Jew, the Gentile, now one. That's found in Ephesians, the third chapter. Then John, the 14th chapter, the ninth verse, the symbolism of one father and one son is held up throughout the word of God that when you see the son, you've seen the father. And Jesus came to let them know that the two became one. And get this, he sent back for you the paraclete, the third member of the Holy Spirit. And what has the third member of the Godhead is what I meant to say. What, what residency does he have? He moved inside of you to make you one with who? <laughs> you are now one with the Father because you are one with the Son. Oh, my goodness, I'm having so much fun. Romans, the fifth chapter, the 12th through the 15th verse, lets us also know this. Before I go there, uh, here's something I want you to understand about the Father and the Son. In one man, all have sinned. This is what Jesus is teaching the disciples. In one man, every man and woman sinned. In the first man, Adam. But in one man, all have been redeemed. That's why we call him the second Adam. He is the do-over for what man could not do on his own. Now through the grace of the one who could accomplish it, you and I have been engrafted 
into the purposes and the plan of God. Once removed and lost through Adam, never a chance to get back to the Father. But now, through Christ Jesus standing on the earth, uh, all of the rituals and the men trying to be good enough has gone by the wayside and now standing in the presence is the one that's about to redeem all things and bring them back into unity, back into harmony with the Father. Romans, the fifth chapter, 12th through the 15th verse. That's why he wears the title, the second man, Adam. And there were two major miracles done in the ministry of Jesus with fish apart from this one. The first one was at the calling of Peter and the disciples. When he said, hey, boys, let me show you something. I know you've toiled all night. I know you're fishermen, but I'm the fisher of men. Cast your net to the other side. You know the story. Half-heartedly, Peter did it. If you read uh, King James, King James lets you know that that's singular there. He was told to cast nets, plural. He cast a net and almost sank his boat. More than he could get, the nets were breaking. He had to scream for other boats to come and help him get the net into the boat. The second major miracle with fish was at the recalling of Peter and the disciples. When a man stood far off on the shore, a man who had been crucified, stood and said, hey, boys, looks like you're not doing so well. Throw that net on the other side. The moment they started to haul in the net, Peter knew who he was. And he dove into the water. I won't tell you how he was dressed. He drove, dove into the water and swam his way to the shore to hug and wrap his arms around the one who had called him in the first place. To wrap his arms around to find out that cooking on the fire, there was already a meal prepared. Where did Jesus get that fish? How did he pull that off? I don't know. But all I know is this, that the two become one and God sees the value in who we are. And fish are symbolic uh, of God's provision, but they're also symbolic of several other things in the ministry. Number one, I want you to understand that fish is the symbol of men. Fish is the symbol of men. We are called to be fishers of men according to Matthew the fourth chapter and the 19th verse. And it was a secret symbol of the first century church during the times of persecution that they would draw a fish called the ictus on some place to let people know that this is a gathering place secretly for Christians to come and worship so that we can escape the persecution around us and not be killed for our faith and yet come together and worship. Oh, that we would put an ictus on the church now. Oh, that we would make sure that the society understands there's still a safe place to come. There's still a safe place in Jesus to come and to gather and to magnify and to glorify and to give him praise and to give him honor. He is the symbol. Yes. Amen. Mm. Don't get me started. Let me finish. We're almost done. Look at your neighbor and say, thank you, Jesus. This is the second time this miracle of the feeding of a multitude was performed 
Did you know that? I know there's one with 5,000, there's one with 4,000 in the New Testament, but did you know there's a mirror miracle in the Old Testament? Mm. In 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, the 42nd through the 44th verse, there's a, a mirror image to this miracle under Elisha. There's a hundred soldiers and they are without provision, and they are hungry. And a servant of the prophet comes into the camp, and he's got a bag of barley grain and some other grain, but not near enough to feed a 100 people. The prophet takes, blesses, and breaks. Do you understand that Jesus is the prophet of all prophets? The prophet takes and he breaks, and the miracle of God was performed with leftovers. This time it was by the word, the logos of God, or the rhema spoken by the prophet. Because John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> so in the present miracle that we're looking at in the Word, and in the former miracle that's found in Second Kings, Jesus was present at both miracles. Golly, I don't know how you can sit there. <laughs> you see, it was Elisha who worked this miracle. In 2 Kings. The prophet of double portion. And we serve a God of order. We are called out of chaos into order. That the same as the creation of the world was chaotic and out of order, was called into order. The church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom, has been called into order. We're to operate in the kingdom, not in the world standard. But what happens in Christianity, I'm going to be honest and truthful, is we dabble in the world and we dabble in the kingdom and we dabble in the world and we dabble in the kingdom and we dabble in the world and we dabble in the kingdom. I'm as guilty as anyone here. I'm not pointing any fingers because I'll get pointed at. But what God's calling us to is to get out of the dabbling and into the kingdom. I'm finishing with this. Five plus two equals seven. <laughs> yes, you did. And seven means completion and achievement. Jesus have, has given the disciples the whole story in his purpose for coming. We, the fishers of men, are in this to gather as many fish as we can gather. And partake of the bread of heaven, the manna of God. Understanding that it's by grace and only by grace through faith that we can do anything 
for him. That any miracle that's ever wrought, Jesus is present. So if you're in a place and someone receives their miracle, fall on your face and magnify Christ. It's time we stop the personality cult that we've been assigned to over the last 20 or 30 years in the house of faith and get back to the one and only personality that has any power at all. In his grace is all we need. He is the complete achievement of life. Christ is the complete achievement of life. and He can draw you out of the chaos of this world into the order of the kingdom. And if we can live by kingdom standard and principle, then why am I worried about what's going on down here? He's coming to get me. He, he gave me the promise. He's coming to get me. He's coming after me. And all I have to do is trust him. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for these faithful people who've stayed, Father, over time to hear what your message has to say. Breaking bread, Father one with another. Father, we are so thankful for what you have done. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for your touch. We ask you, Father, today make this miracle come alive. Everything that's been said Indel it in our heart and in our memory, Lord, that you bring structure and order so that there won't be feeding frenzies that take this thing, Father, and make a mockery out of your provision. But that your name and your name alone will receive glory. You may call us out and use us, Father, in the working of a miracle. But we must always bring the fragments back to the one who worked the miracle in the first place. We can't hold on to the provision for ourselves, but we bring it back and magnify you and glorify you and rejoice at the remnants of what we see. God, I pray. As Passion Church picks up its mantle, Father, for revival, we put souls in our fishing expedition, Father, that we wrap our arms around it with the understanding that we're to introduce them to the bread of heaven and to feed in them the most urgent need. So that the division between them and God can become one through Christ Jesus. And that the grace and the unity of Christ will become the completion of the achievement in their lives. Today, we surrender. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.